Ladies and gents, welcome back to another Engineers podcast. Uh, today, I'm I'm really fortunate to be joined by Michael Donat, who I've known for an awfully long time, um, who's VP of Engineering at a fantastic company over in Netherlands, business that I know fairly well, called Rode. They're building an all-in-one platform for EV charging, and we're going to be exploring a little bit about the sustainability and fintech nuances of the business but there is a special onus as well on why event sourcing and michael's someone that knows an awful lot about this space so we're going to be listening to someone who's done this time and time again michael thanks for coming to join us how are you not too bad thank you for having me how are you yeah absolute pleasure absolute pleasure we always start with introduction. So, Michael, do you want to give me an introduction or give the audience an introduction into you, your background, who's Michael, the technology leader? I've been uh, doing software development in around London for the last 20 odd years, I think. Obviously, starting as a junior dev in a small company doing podcasting. Um, learned a bunch. I think it was back in 2005, maybe. We were doing a lot of interesting things with online recording and, and, and sort of editing while in the web. So technology was quite interesting. And I sort of moved my career into that, that idea of what back then we used to call new media. So there's always been multiple systems involved, mostly web development as well, elements of e-commerce and finance. I think throughout my career, I was always looking for places where um, tech was interesting. It was sort of maybe connecting different aspects of, of a little bit of hardware, a little bit of sort of audio processing and so on and so on. At some point, I ended up working for a small startup called Money Technologies doing, um, doing money remittance in a way. And, and it's been a typical story of a very early stage, joining as one of the first few people, ended up building a team in there where I think, you know, I've collected a bunch of ideas over the, the, the years when I've been managed by somebody on, on things to do and not to do. And I think that was my first opportunity to actually be responsible for delivering something from, from a team, basically, from ground up um, and verifying a lot of those ideas. And I think, you know, a lot of my thinking has been sort of shaped back then, I think, working in a small startup, things are happening quickly, bringing people in, sort of making it successful was, uh, was an interesting story. But uh, and I've been sort of carrying and building on this um, ever since. And I think from then, I moved to a company in the UK called Utility Warehouse, which is a multi-utility provider. Um, FTSE 250 company, very big, um, and 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 we we've been sort of brought in there with 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 a couple of guys from the network to to carry on a digital transformation in a way. And it was, as it often happens, there's a company working well, public, and the IT system is 35 year old, and obviously you know preventing the business going going forward. So I think a lot of interesting learning in there. I think my job there as a big engineering was mostly to, to again deal with um, build teams, deal with people. But I'm lucky enough to work with a great chief architect who sort of introduced the idea of event sourcing and how we could go about um, transforming that whole application into a new one. So a lot of learning, learning that I still take forward to places that I go and 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 try and execute again. Yeah, and Michael, you probably won't say this yourself, but honestly, that's where. Uh, I started to learn a lot more about distributed architectures, event sourcing from not working with the business at the time, but I heard about this technology environment that you, others were creating. And I think it's fair to say a lot of people who will listen to this that are London-based who know UW 
will really know that they had a really solid engineering culture or that's how I understood it from someone external to the business at the time. So I think credit to you and the team for actually cultivating that. Yeah, I think I think you know the the whole the whole sort of idea of of I, I, like yes, we want to talk about event sourcing, but it's not only about this. I think the um, the general solution design of the platform really supports the the overall engineering culture, right? I think we have always been a strong believer, and that's how the team at DW is built in in teams that are as autonomous as possible. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, you know that autonomy requires quite a lot of work that that I would just say bottom up. Right? My job very often was about not telling people what to do. Um, but equipping everybody with, with the sort of knowledge required and skill required to make their own choices. And I think as you go into distribution, as you go into the sort of idea of, of things not necessarily being monolithic and not being very synchronous in a way that, that allows people choices. I think, you know, we, we never had very long conversations early on in the year where we have to, I don't know, sign a big deal with Oracle or, or want to sign a big deal with, but whoever that might, you know, Atlas running Mongo, like a database, for example, wasn't a conversation that needed to happen. And I think a lot of the thinking was always about it to sort of not to push those decisions as far down the line as we could and give give teams generally a freedom to pick the right tool for the job. And I think, you know, even though very often you see it on every single job spec, it sounds very cliche, it is really key to sort of run your environment in such a way that this is possible. But I think the platform architecture has to follow that. You you want to have, I don't know, 20 of teams and everything is slightly different. Everything is sort of looking after their own infrastructure. They can make choices. Um, yeah. Overall way the platform is put together has to allow this as well. Yeah, okay. We are going to touch on some of those cultural approaches to technology choices. Well, I'd love to go into a little bit more of yeah. you know, how you define that or how you help teams define that, how you help teams be autonomous. That's something that I see myself talk more and more about, but we can park that for a second. Talk to us a little bit about the role of VP of Engineering now, a newly rebranded road from eFlux. Talk to me a little bit about that role and also talk to me about the mission of Road. Yeah, I think uh, maybe we should start with the mission that 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 you know that will, yeah. that will go nice to the role as well. I think you know immobility is an interesting interesting business and that, that generally you know it, it is what it's called when it comes to you know electric vehicles and charging and so on and so on. And I think you know on the outset as anything really it looks it looks simple. I've been uh, I've been at Road for just over a year, and, I've, and actually, it's, it's, you know, the topic is quite deeper than just plugging a car and charging in a way. Um, but sort of in a nutshell, to to to, to give everybody a good good sort of view in, into what's going on, I think um, when when um, when charging happens, generally there is a transaction. There is a transaction whereby the person who owns the charging station is effectively selling energy, and the person who's charging the car is buying that energy. Now, the way that the market is put together is that those companies or, or that, that, that own and operate those charging stations, they don't necessarily know who the customers are because customers come in to charge with, uh, with what is called the charge card. And I think, you know, there's, there are quite, quite a bit of differences between especially the UK market and the rest of the continental Europe where here in the UK, every time, you know, I drive an EV, so I sort of, I, I live through that pain. Every time I turn up to charge my car, I likely have to download yet another application of the sort of chart of the charge station owner have to register on my debit card whatever i can then charge in europe that that was sort of sorted differently with uh, the idea of, of charge cards in a way so you as a driver you can obtain a card from a company and that company's and that card sorry is, is effectively like a you know like like a payment card but there's no financial transactions happening so you take that card you can sort of tap it on the on the charging station and that allows charging now obviously 
from the perspective of those station owners, and there's going to be you know, hundreds and hundreds of them that deploy stations, they still need to know who is the, the, the holder of that card in a way, right? who is the, hard, the card holder, because they don't issue them. And this, this is resolved by a roaming network, which is very similar to a, to a mobile roaming network, whereby those companies that sort of operate charging stations and the companies that are issuing cards are entering roaming agreements. And those roaming agreements are obviously contractual, um, but also based on open standard uh, data exchange protocols in a way. Things we call OCPI, for example, which is the, the strongest one, but there is a bunch of different hubs that data is exchanged uh, through as well. So the idea now being is that if that, that driver comes into the charging station to charge and generates usage that might cost 100 pounds, let's say, maybe 50, that, that, that company obviously that, that operates that charging card, they want to receive payment. And I think this is where Road comes in as an integrated solution, as a SaaS platform that can facilitate that sort of financial transaction in, in, in a very sort of core of our functionality. So end-to-end -end thinking about it, charge station owners that want to sort of you know, generate revenue on making station uh, making uh, charging available to the, to the wider public, they would sign up for, for an account with us. They can obviously control a lot of things around their charging stations, things like pricing, things like availability for different networks and whatnot. And obviously the charge the charge the, the charge point then is is, is operating through our platform. Um, and equally we then have all of those roaming agreements with the so-called MSP cards, uh, or we have MSP companies in a way that issue cards, um, where we then control who is allowed to charge on the charging station. And effectively at the end of the month we run billing. Um, if you for example run your station through our platform, you get reimbursed from um, road, so we sort of take the liability, we reimburse our customers, and then yep. we chase our costs um, on the MSP side as well. Now, as a business, we have an MSP side as well, so we obviously issue cards ourselves too, but I think we see a lot of changes in the market um, where we strongly believe that in the future, the uh, focus on cards is going to be less uh, as payment terminals come in the standard with charging stations or anything. Again, especially in the UK, we're very used to just basically tapping our phones for payments, and, and I really strongly believe that's going to be the standard of e-mobility going forward. Yeah, that's some seriously good insight. And I think even at that last point, <laughs> um, that's one reason for driving you towards your mission. What, what are the other reasons do you feel that the business feel really strongly about driving you towards your mission yeah i think look as every business we have a uh, we have a, a a purpose as well and we have a marketing department that defines it very nicely and and you know we we we, we want to make that that sort of experience effortless both for drivers and for drive station operators and i think you know there's just way too many obstacles um when it comes to mostly entering the market from from you know from from a, a charge point provider perspective um, and this is what what drives us. We you know the the we want to offer very wide compatibility of when when it comes to manufacturers of charging stations. Effectively, you know whatever you bring in should work on our platform. To the point where while we were still running the Eflex brand, one of the sort of slogans of the company was "Feel free," and that came from you know feel free to plug in whatever you want into the platform. You know, um, and that's that's sort of been the driver. And I think you know it is a very very fast growing market. Um, and, and, and there is a lot of sort of, you know, a lot of that is built around uh, technology, which is, you know, for me, it was exciting. So I spent, spent, you know, many years working for effectively a large energy company in the UK and the energy energy industry is an example of something that is very, very old. And, you know, we have 2023 and most of the industry still exchange, exchanges the most important flows, as it's called, through SFTP servers. So going into something that's been defined as a communication protocol in the last few months, where there's a lot of, uh, maybe not IoT, but there's a lot of 
you know, clients of hardware somewhere there in the world that communicate with you. Um, it's really exciting. It's, it's it's sort of a new approach, a lot of new thinking that 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 you know we've gathered in the in the last sort of five ten years when it comes to software engineering can be applied to this. So yeah. putting it all together into a platform is basically the driving force in there, right? Like the, the yes, we're going back to the making it effortless in a way and seamless, but that's um, having a platform that does all of this basically allows that to happen. Yeah, I I would really love to touch on that point that. I was asking about initially and the the cultural approaches to technologies because like you've just touched on your you've got experience in the energy space it is a traditional industry you've done a phenomenal job in and around London in modern software engineering environments I'm really keen now to understand how you're marrying the two up and that cultural approach to the technology choices that you've decided to make it would be great to try and uncover that yeah um complex question this i think um and 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 just just i wanted to start with a, a little bit of a disclaimer that that you know i'm not trying to advocate here there is one single bullet for everything but, but as you said in those kind of cases where um where there is an existing software um and and very often you um, very often it's challenging to continue to, to, to continue improving that software to achieve scale or, or you know, reduce time to market, whatever the, 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 the sort of reasons for that is. I think you know the, the, the kind of approach that, that um, I tend to pick, it works particularly well. And going back to this kind of cultural aspect of this, um, you know, I think we always try to be pragmatic about things. And pragmatic means many, many different things, but um, it's it's in, in that there are so many different um, sort of experiences and, and and you know thoughts that I'm kind of merging into this. Where whether we go back to really agile way of thinking, whether we go back to, to to really the meaning of DevOps as a methodology rather than a you know a function or how that all comes together. We, we sort of um, touched a little on autonomy. It all comes together. I think if you look at any of the teams that 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 sort of I build, right? It's always um, it's always uh, there's there's a few things that are always important in a way. Like you you want you want your developers to to, to generally feel empowered, right? They want to be in control of what they do to a degree. Obviously, doing the right things as well. But people who who feel a large dose of ownership in a way tend to care about things more in a way, right? And and that has obviously that is visible in, in many different things in terms of you know how 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 strongly people apply themselves or how proactive they are, how often then they innovate things that they have. So that's always been that that sort of that 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 pragmatism, that ownership is the sort of very much building block of everything that we do and, and a lot of things come into that. And 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 obviously, you know, again going back to that autonomy conversation, that 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 sort of ownership comes from this as well, right? Because you really look at the area of, of the business you're serving and you think this is this is your little thing. Nobody kind of tells you what to do other than directionally steering the ship where you want to be rather yeah. than executives. But um the execution plan, how we are doing this again, technology choices is really, really within that. And you know, I often sort of I'm often being asked about um how how do we keep developers motivated? And again, I think you know, a good story from UW times was that you know our intuition was great. Like, people were staying with us for, for, for a very long time. So the question was like, how are you guys doing this? That you don't see too many sort of regretful leavers as we 
And um, and I think you know that was described in the book that I, I I can't find again. But but it's it's sort of I always say there's three things in my opinion that that motivate motivate developers. And 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 I I've always been strongly motivated by that myself throughout my career. So the first first top of the line is the fact that that you know we do things that matter in a way, things that that are being kind of put in production that you can see usage that actually make a difference. You know, nobody wants to be stuck somewhere doing, you know, effectively. Things that that never go anywhere, right? Either because they they just don't have traction in terms of product traction, or things that are kind of maintenancey thing that 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 are just there to keep the lights on. So I think you know, developers usually motivated by doing things that 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 have an impact. Secondly, um, being um, learning new things. And this is also a super important point. I think you know you you will see you will see retention up. You will see happy people in a way if if you if you learn on the job. And, Learn about the domain, learn about technologies. Um, just generally, you know, if you spend two, three, four years with the company, you want to to go out to the next one having a much stronger profile, right? Being a person that knows more, that is more experienced, that can be applied in many different situations. And 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 if you take those two reasons in a way, they are very much enabled by 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 the fact that you you sort of have a large dose of control over what 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 you do. If you have an environment that enables technology choices, um, doesn't drive top down a lot of those things. It's much easier to experiment and, and it's much easier to, to learn new things, to find new things to do. And, and more importantly, it's much easier to find solutions for problems in, in, in the way that you sort of want, right? So again, you can learn, you can experiment, you can deliver good things. And that sort of changes the way that 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 uh, that changes the profile of my job in a way, right? I um, I think you know maybe maybe a little unfairly, but I think classically a lot of the time VPs uh, uh, of engineering, the head of engineering are, are sort of in a very supervisory role. I don't know there's a plan you very strongly execute this, um, and 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 there is kind of you know less wiggle room that that you would want. And I think you know what I focus on is to enable this sort of environment that people can experiment and so on. You need to make things smaller in a way, right? The problems that you that you're dealing with they need to be smaller. The decisions need to be smaller. So if you do get them wrong, obviously we don't always get everything right. It's not so costly to sort of you know back out of it and try something else. And, and again, that has you know that strong connection to the sort of you know, approach to microarchitectures, to distributed systems, to generally doing things small and connecting this together. Now, whether you want to call it Unix philosophy, because it's called this as well. But and that's what I meant. I think you know, a lot of this thinking comes together into that little bit of a, of a you know, of a mashup of, of those important things. I don't think there is one leading thought into this, but 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 everything comes comes together. But you want to have a productive teams, you want, you need happy people in those teams, and happy people again are people that do important things. They learn things to be paid for too. <laughs> that's you know that's the third reason I didn't mention. Um, but Jeremy, you know that's that's the sort of thing. So I always think about how do we enable that? How do we um, how do we equip teams more? How you know to to make the right decisions? To kind of empower them in that choice, to give them confidence to make the right choices. You know that's another thing that you notice quite often that. Um, you know, nobody really like if you ask people, hey, do do, do you want to be told strictly what to do? And I think you know, everybody says, no, I don't. But then actually, kind of reversing this and, and saying to everybody, hey, I'm going to throw you at the deep end and figure it out, is also a very strong approach. So again, a lot of that is, is sort of a, you know working really sort of at the foundational levels of knowledge and 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 comfort and 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 just again equipping everybody with, with the right tools and and you know, there's um. There's always components to that as well, right? And I think you know, if you if you ask me how you know what what sort of how 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 I would measure whether this is happening or not, and again, there is few different I don't know bars on the graph, whatever you want to call them, and 
you know, there's the first one, which is the obvious, which is just generally crafted mastery of how will how will developers in, in deliver on technology in a way. And a lot of that yeah. stuff in there is generally the quality of the code written, the test coverage, the you know the appropriate testing techniques as well. And just just you know, it's, it's really we're talking about the, the the craft of being a developer in there. Um, moving from here, product sort of maturity in a way is super important as well um to have a team that is again autonomous and, and confident and can execute and deliver on, on objectives um that team needs to understand their customer they need to understand their placement within large organizations and they need to understand um which sort of you know business needles they're moving by the work and i think you know that's incredibly important that, that that everybody in the team sort of has a good understanding of you know the kinds of being a programmer where you sort of get a very strict spec from all the yeah. NASA somebody and just type that in and job done that kind of doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. So that's too and, and you know we're going into operational as well. So you know this is where the sort of DevOps mindset comes in very 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 strongly I think. You know obviously not everybody's gonna be a specialist in React as well as you know some deep networking and, and, and CNI and stuff like this, but generally yeah. We do we do build teams and I always build teams from generalists. You know, I think it's you know of course everybody has like specialization, but teams are generally very cross-functional, um, all the way from you know defining deployments and how the cluster looks like, all the way to kind of you know moving pixels with CSS. So that operational maturity is important. I think teams build, teams run, teams needs to build sort of um, you know processes and and different techniques for alerting for kind of knowing what's going on with the software they're building and being able to react to it as well so that's three and four we kind of go into again you know the sort of agile maturity i think i've been an agile evangelist for many many years i think i first learned around about agile kind of probably back 2007 or eight yeah i've met some, some really really good people that that were at the kind of forefront of that agile revolution in london and and, and there's been you know a lot of a lot of, like as my mentors they taught me a lot about agile too and I've never been a person who is cargo culting in a way. I've never been a kind of scrums that we do things. But the sort of that that's what I'm always trying to to inject into the teams as well. Right? Kind of understand like where did Agile come from? What are the sort of base base ideas? Kind of almost going back to the manifesto. So teams can find their own ways um, rather than you know reading a, a Agile I don't know field guide and following to the letter, right? So. Those four, those four, this the, the four is, is sort of again in, in terms of kind of qualities or maybe competencies is what I focus quite a lot on as well. Yeah. If you can put work into into making sure that those four on on high enough level, then that, again that enables that autonomy. So you're going back to the previous conversation, right? Yeah, enables technology choices and things that run themselves. I I really value again from afar externally value what you've been able to do at UW assessing that you know with the technology environment that you built and cultivated and obviously seemingly what you're doing at road by the way but obviously you're a year into your journey um and no doubt the environment that that you're looking to build there with some of the team that i can see you know on some of the projects that you're working on and what you're building but also the autonomy that you actually provide your teams like a learning environment or boundaries to sit within because i think you know some of the measures that you actually touched on have a number of strong connotations to how businesses gauge productivity at the moment you're looking at how we can actually measure if the needle of the business or the needle of the product is moving forward so actually giving the teams the trust a learning environment well remunerated would actually give you so much more 
in the mid to long term as a business, actually putting that trust in your engineering team. So I, I think that cultural approach and what you're looking to achieve now at Road, seemingly is really working for you. Looks like you've got an awesome team around you. I believe so. Yeah. And I think, you know, the one, one point I wanted to make, because we go back to UW, I, um, I wasn't alone in there. I think we, you know, when it comes to UW, it was really good time in my life. We, we had an amazing team when it comes to the sort of tech management team, right? Whether that's yeah. Martin, the architect, Damon Michaels, the CTO. I think um, the unique thing there that it was that we were all very strongly aligned on this sort of thinking. Everybody obviously brought different mm -hmm. flavors of that thinking and we sort of adjusted in there. But I think, you know, it rarely happens that, that, that you have, um, you know, a group of, you know, obviously the leadership team was bigger, but, but you have a group of, you know, almost 10 people that, that are aligned on those things, right? There's yeah. no argument, nobody has different ways of doing this. So it was a little bit of a, of a sort of magical environment where um, everybody coming in with those ideas because we were so, so aligned, we could really refine this. We could really put this in, into, into place with, with some sort of, you know, um, conviction in a way. Yeah. Um, and you know, and you learn. Like over the years, you learn that not everything is as simple as, as you sort of make it sound. You know, in, in a five-minute or ten-minute podcast that I'm having with you here, and 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 there are challenges, and, and 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 there are certain things that don't always work, and you need to adjust. And and you also learn that not everybody is necessarily like the environment. Like this. Yeah, you yeah, know, that is. Um, yeah, you touch on something previously about breaking problems down, breaking things into microservices, and really understanding problems at a micro scale to then go and solve them whether that be your way of working reducing risk but it would be great to understand how you're assessing your problems and then solving those challenges yeah a very broad question i guess um i think you know it's, it's interesting like uh, especially because we've mentioned micro again and you know the first level of microservices is to not start with microservices which which you know which is one to leave by as well i believe but I think you know every business is different, and, and there are different classes of problems in a way. And, and obviously, you know what we what we see at Road, especially, which which is rather different set of problems than than what I've seen at UW, is that you know we have a we have a platform today that let's call it legacy platform, and, and it's legacy in terms of being five years old, right? So it's not head of legacy in a way. Um, but it's a platform that is well engineered. It's, it's you know it's a, a, a kind of classic um, Node stack with Mongo and Mongoose in there, and you know, very kind of rest. Rest first design in a way, and 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 you know it, it it took the business where it is today, business that is very healthy and is still growing. I think the kind of the fundamental problem we have today with that platform is that it's very difficult to apply, say, 50, 50 people or multiple teams into this because of how capital it is, and 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 this is the sort of main driver for us to be able to 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 move away from this is is to to separate it. And I think you know whether that sort of results in microarchitecture that 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 slightly different thing in there, but generally distributes the different um, distribute the different things that this current platform is doing into its own units is one example of, of, of splitting the problem, right? You and, and not only a problem because this is not a problem. This is more about uh, uh, being able to to manage roadmaps or manage the portfolio in separate ways. I think for us, it really starts from understanding what what are the business domains in a way. And I think every business has domains, and sometimes they're obvious, sometimes they're less obvious. But uh, you know, like for us, for example, at Road. Um, this, there's a whole family of, of, of kind of, let's call them problems in a way that are to do with communication with charging stations. There's a whole family of problems with, um, or, or features and functionalities to be more positive when it comes to how, uh, you know, charge point owners are operating their, their charging stations. 
you know, the, the charge card is a separate thing. We have obviously the roaming concerns, you have billing and finance. And, and I think every business is constructed from, from small units that sort of interact uh, with one another. And I think, you know, that should reflect in software as well. And, and, and you know, we, we haven't mentioned this yet, but, but you know, domain-driven design uh, and, and the concepts behind domain-driven design really play a large sort of role in how we think and, and approach what we are building as well. Um, and that sort of even the word domain comes from there in a way. So yeah. I think, you know, being able to, to, to really focus groups of people on, 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 on that area of the business that, that as I said, you know, customers and also the features KPIs, you know, when I was speaking about these kind of four different measures you can apply, they're, they're, they're really going there. And then, you know, that already makes the problem smaller. And it's kind of continuing sort of looking outside in on, on these different things. And, 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 you know, at some point you, you, if, if you do have a, a very monolithic sort of tightly coupled platform like we do, at some point you want to allow these teams to be able to work on their own. You want to sort of, um, you know, sort of scale those systems as well as those teams independently. You want them to work independently. You, you might want to invest more in terms of resource and time to one thing over the quarter. So, you know, there are different ways that you could start start about doing this. You know, like personally, I think sort of going away for a year as an engineering department saying, hey, we're going to rewrite everything and come back with a new system. You never sort of, yeah, that big bug approach never works in practice. Um, and very often changing the software like deep in, in, in sort of, in its heart is difficult. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of dependencies. There's a code that is used sort of in production. It, it sometimes is hard to refactor in a way. And, um, and, 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 and this is where, again, that, that, that sort of, you know, for us, the, 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 it's not only about event sourcing, but I think, you know, the, the, the approach generally, the way that we'll describe it is something that Martin Fowler called the stronger fake um, pattern in a way. You know, you can kind of look it up, he's on his blog, but the idea is that, that you know, you, you isolate a piece of the system that you have and like that stronger fake, you start building around it until you consume it from the inside. And I think technically, on in terms of, you know, how do you execute a change like this, um, thinking about event sourcing is a, is a really good idea. So yeah. I'll give you some examples. Please. So going back to char charging stations, right? We, we work quite a lot with, uh, with installer companies as well. In fact, it's one of our most sort of important channels in a way. So the way that it works is we order a charging station from an installation, installation company, that installation company is going to have a preference for the backend and they will sort of more often than not, they will convince the customer to sign up as well because they get tooling from us that allows them to sort of operate better in a way. Um, and we monitor charging stations. We monitor charging stations in such a way that if we, from the communication of the charging station or, or, or you know, as we analyze data as well, we, we can recognize that problems with charging stations. Be it, you know, it's misconfigured, maybe the clock is drifting, or there's problems with connectors or some technical faults. And just, just you name it, right? It's, it's hardware somewhere in the world we can know about it. So obviously right now, you know, the way that works, there's a bunch of cron jobs. So it also, also happens, kind of, you know, we can go to Mongo and check what, what's going on and create records for, FCS issues are the problem. So we wanted to, to kind of replace the system and make it better. Um, now, our approach in here, kind of, you know, finally kind of entering into the, the, the event sourcing in a way, would be to, to sort of, you know, look at the problem and, and, um, and try to, like, first of all, first of all, do, do a lot, like, a lot of the work that we do starts with modeling, which is the hardest thing in, in, in this entire idea bringing people together, developers, subject matter experts, business analysts, if you have them. To sort of really nail down what happens with that, what what is that sort of issue that we're talking about? What is the problem? How you want to call it? What sort of transitions it goes through? We we try to describe the life cycle of of, of that thing that is actually significant for the business. It's not only 
is not only a technical expression of what happens, but actually the business operates on a term that we call an EFSA issue, right? This is a thing that was reported on that, that people just generally understand. And again, this is where the domain design is coming in. Um, and, 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 you know, that exercise is important. We were like, like effectively we end up with a bunch of events that describe the life cycle of it, right? It's raised, it can be acknowledged, it can be, you know, closed, very much like an alert in a way. Um, having this, um, what do you want to do? We want to start emitting those events. Um, so one approach would be to sort of, again, go to the legacy application and, and start emitting those events when those, those things are happening. The problem, the particular problem with that approach is that you, you sort of get a little bit of a, maybe a split brain, split brain problem in there where you have to emit an event as well as you need to save that change to the database because obviously you have an entire legacy platform that is still consuming from that table or collection. Yeah. Not, so you can't just not do this. Um, and then, you know, things happen on the network. You might be in a situation where you've saved the data to the database, the event fails to, to sort of uh, uh, trigger and, and, you know, there is a problem, there is a data inconsistency. So what we do instead is something that we, um, I don't know whether that's a term that is just generally widely recognized, but back from the UW days, we used to call that fabrication of events. And, and what it really means is that we want to look at the, the data that is in the legacy sort of data store, recognize the change in state and fabricate an event, right? Create like a synthetic event to emit this. It didn't really happen because we know it happened in the past, but that, that's how we will do it. So for this, we've implemented some, you know, bunch of kind of techniques to get data out of Mongo. Mongo is actually, you know, Again, back at the UW, the database we were using didn't have any drivers to it, so it was uh, it was completely different, different, different challenge in there. Mongo was great because Mongo offers so-called change streams. So Mongo tells you what's changed. Yeah. So we take that, we sort of compare the state. We know we know a new record has happened, or we know that maybe the installer has closed the other, so we can emit we can emit an event from that. So that's kind of first step to to knowing what's going on. But I think what that allows us to do is now. If we need to build a new um, application or a new feature that is based around the kind of concept of that aggregate root of the of the of the FSA issue, we can now do this without touching Mongo. Of course, this is eventually consistent because you don't see the changes right away, but we can start consuming those messages into new sort of you know data storage, whatever is now optimized for reading rather than kind of halfway for reading for writing, and we can build new applications um, that can read that. Um, outside of Mongo. So let's say if we want to roll a mobile application for the installers that we don't have today, but we might, yeah. we can start building this without touching the legacy platform. So that, that's step one. Step two for us would be to then start understanding how, how we change the mutations, how we change the writing. So again, we would go to the legacy application now and see how it sort of accepts maybe, you know, uh, queries from the current website and, and how something is closed. And instead of writing this to a database, we're now going to emit that event we were previously fabricating, right? So now it becomes a real event, and that comes with Good. that comes with you know something that's going to save that to the, the legacy database, but fundamentally we no longer save to the legacy database. So then from there on, the, the you know that kind of the journey is much simpler. We will identify whatever is still using the legacy legacy data source and kind of start to kill it. So I know it's a lot of detail, but kind of on the on that's the outside. Good. On the outset, the circle, the circle basically, we like it doesn't it doesn't always apply to every single problem, but that that's the kind of repetitive stuff that we will be doing all the time. Kind of get get from like build a new data source from the all source of truth, which is in our events, and keep circling like this until we move the the, the source of truth fully to the to the events. Do do you so almost have? Yeah, I was going to say, do you almost have like this tick box principle of when to event source? when to not event source like is it that clear in your mind or an engineering team's mind of yep that problem event source 
actually, no, it doesn't meet those requirements or principles, don't event source. Is it that clear? Yeah, I think, no, it's not that clear. I think, you know, every no. everything we look at is slightly different. And, and again, you know, if, and, and maybe, you know, maybe maybe I, I, I sort of colored the explanation a little bit, but I think event sourcing isn't even so much about how you execute it. It's a part of the way of thinking, it's a part of the way of expressing data as well. And and because, you know, event sourcing is a, let's say, a flavor of event-driven system, but there are differences. In event sourcing, you don't have imperative events, right? We don't have commands. We, you don't say, hey, go and do something. You generally, the way you model your events is, is you try to model um, things that happen, facts that happen. They're almost always in, actually, they're all always in, in past tense in a way, like, you know, things that, again, that happened. Yeah. And more importantly, I think those, even the names, like, and we use protocol buffers for, for contracting for, for defining this. I, I think this is about the only technology that is sort of driven very hard, right? This is where you would come together and say, we're going to use protocol buffers, and there is no negotiation about that. But um, even the names of those events should be something that the wider business recognizes. And I think, you know, this is really the sort of magic of event sourcing together with domain-driven design, that you really, you want your software to reflect the way that the business was and communicates, not the other way around. And, and you know, if you do it well, and you can, and, and, and your kind of set of events can actually describe all the changes that happen to this traditional database record, that means you verify the model that, that it works. So not everything is business significant, right? And not everything has to be done this way. In, in, in applications that are very much sort of um, based on maybe data entry or, or things that express configuration or, um, I don't know, things like where you might obtain a database of, I don't know, say, let's say all the countries together with the dining numbers, right? We are unlikely to, to, to generally emit this as event and, and yeah. do a very granular thing. So full kind of pure solution would obviously look like this, but it's not always practical. I think, you know, event sourcing yeah. brings a lot of challenges to it as well. It's not a golden yeah. sort of you know, remedy for everything. I think operationally systems like this are much harder to to to, to get around than, than things that might be a little bit more transactional or a little bit more synchronous in nature or communicating, um, but it, also, it resolves a lot of problems. You're sort of trading one problem for the others, but I, but for scale, I think, and, and, and it works. And if you, and especially if you're in an environment where you can allow some dose of eventual consistency, right? I think, you know, we still have issues with um, distributed transactions. Not everything can be done this way. Obviously we handle payments that can't be eventually consistent always. So yeah. Um, yeah, it's not, but, but I think, you know, if you, if you, again, if you're sort of looking at, at uh, I don't know if you're a new joiner on our team and, and we'll be talking to you about how we go about things, what is our general idea for, for the future, how we go. Yes, it is that, right? It's a sort of distributed, uh, micro, eventually persistent event source domain-driven application. <laughs> that, that looks great on job specs, by the way. <laughs> it does. I was just about to say, we always, well, we did say you and I talking about this because you're humble in your approach. You didn't want to focus on buzzwords. You wanted to focus on the, the meanings and the reasons behind them and explain your thinking. But that's some buzzword. I love that. Um, but you can, Michael, you can back it up. You, you can back it up with what you guys are doing. And I did actually want to touch on that point coming to the end of the podcast. Uh, I know from speaking to you that you others in the business are really passionate about growing the team there's a need for the team you know the the netherlands is such a big following of this platform so here's a really good example and london in fairness i know you've hired some of the team in london now's a really good example to share with the team or show the audience what the team 
are looking to actually go and build next year and how they're going to grow next year and, and what sort of people you'll be looking for. So people can reach out to you directly, people can reach out to other people in the teams directly. So help us understand what that growth actually looks like. Yeah, look, I think, you know, we, we, we're always going to be hiring. It's not, it's not so much about a target amount of people and bringing them quickly. I think, you know, like I'm always hiring. I always want to speak to people that, that, uh, that find what I'm talking about interesting that that where, where this sort of environment and, and that sort of problems resonates with them and, and you know if, if, if they come with um ready experience in those areas then even better obviously but we're always going to be hiring we will be spinning up kind of new teams i think you know the team is relatively small small today surely will double next year um and 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 as we go we will establish those areas more and more um again you know we'll talk a little bit about those domains we we have some of them covered by by separate teams some of them still needs to be um uh, developed in a way and put together but i think for anybody um thinking about it there's always going to be interesting opportunities obviously you know as we build that organization starting from zero and i don't know where there's opportunities for career growth um whatever your interests might be you know whether whether the technology aspect of that and, and leadership from from sort of you know technology individual contributor perspective is something that you after there, there's there's interesting growth in there um, as the teams are growing, uh, leadership aspect of, of, of the department is also can be more and more interesting. So I think there's a little bit of everything for everybody, um, especially if you kind of, you know, like this sort of idea, if, um, if you want to, you know, own something, if you want to do something on your own, I think, you know, I, I'm always happy to hear that rather than, 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 than the sort of, you know, I'm not the person to, to be strongly telling you what to do, although, you know, there's still always an element of that, but, um, yeah. That that's what we're going to do. That's how we're going to grow. I think we want to bring like-minded people, somebody you know, people that understand that, and and like like doing software. Right? I think we all that that's yeah. true. I I still code as well. Um, less now, and and maybe the team isn't as happy when I'm doing this anymore. Um, but but it's always been a very important thing. Kind of you know we don't like pass through management or corner office management in a way. So everybody's very much always knowing what they're talking about. We we want smart people around us so we can learn from each other. Yeah. And, you know, referring back to some of those buzzwords on the spec, I, I can honestly vouch for the technology environments that you build. You look for pure technologists. Uh, I think, like you mentioned, some of the stack that you write some of your services in, Node.js, everything runs on AWS. But I think as a mindset, you're generally quite agnostic. Yeah. Um, so I'd, I'd implore people listening from all backgrounds to reach out to Michael reach out to the talent team, follow road, see what they're building. They're, they're providing real life value that's going to impact a lot of people in years to come with government pledges that we see to EV on a year by year basis. Um, so take a look at road and see what they're building. I just want to say a big thanks, Michael. Obviously, this has been in the wings for a few months. I'm really pleased that we're here. You've smashed it. So a big thank you. Thank you, Elliot. Hey, guys. Thanks for watching this episode. Uh, massively appreciate you listening and checking in with us. If you want to find out more about us and what we're doing, please check us out on social media. What we're trying to do at Engineers is build a community to drive knowledge, sharing, and experiences. On Twitter, we can be found at engineers.io. It's no underscore. We've also got a website, which is engineers.io. 
These links will all be posted in the description. Any feedback and comments are massively appreciated. We're always looking to improve on where we can. Thanks guys.